Elliot. Oh, sorry. I was going to clear my throat. <laughs> <laughs> we could keep that in. Stay hey, in. Brian. Uh, what's the talk of the table today? This week, we're sitting down with Samantha Lee. Sam is a game designer known for such hits as Anamnesis, Outliers, the upcoming Death of the Author, and a number of other wonderful games. You can find Sam's TikTok and YouTube TTRPG recommendations, both under at Goblin Mixtape. Sam is a friend of the pod, friend of ours, a collaborator on the recent Project Echo, and one of the best people we've encountered in this space. So, Sam Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you. Echo, don't do that. Sorry, my my echo in the other room just responded. Oh no, um, <laughs> that's great. Well, thank you for the introduction, Elliot. Um, I'm so glad to be here. I've, I'm delighted to be able to say that I've chatted with both of you before, and uh, I'm just excited to talk and I'm excited to chat with both of you at once here. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been great. Uh, all of the kind of collaborative work that we've done so far, I've just it's been wonderful um and you guys are both a pleasure to work with and talk with so i'm very excited oh well, thank you Make, so you're much. making us you blush as well making us blush. <laughs> yeah. we were getting ready for this interview and we were like we're really not worried we we love sam we'll just have a good time yeah i've been yeah. excited this is this is great yeah. <laughs> i'm like oh, yeah. oh hey sunday morning let's go <laughs> so obviously we know who you are but for somebody who might not know who samantha lee is can you give a little bit of background about who you are in this space so I am a game designer, um, and I am the owner of Blinking Birch Games, which is just a kind of my own small business, just a sole proprietorship um, that I set up for game design. And so other than writing my own games, which Elliot mentioned a couple of them, Anamnesis being the best known one right now, I also do a little bit of design work for other people's projects. So I've written for projects like Cloud Empress and The Zone. Um, and I also do a little bit of editing work, a little bit of voiceover work. Um, I kind of have my fingers in a bunch of different bowls. That's not how the saying goes. Pies. Pies. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's, it's really fun. It's, it gives me some variety in what I do. Um, oh, and then I also do make a lot of videos that feature different games in the indie TTRPG space to just kind of shout out what, what's out there and highlight some of the games that I think think people might enjoy. It is fun to find all of those those resources that are kind of out there that are just people helping to spread other people's work, you know, indie RPG newsletter and uh Love that newsletter. It, it's a great newsletter. Great yeah, newsletter. Thomas Manuel does a great job. Thomas Manuel. Oh, and also I I just I just re remember that connection Thomas Manuel was the layout artist for Anamnesis, right? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yep, yep, he did a great job. It's awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy. But but your TikTok and and now I think you've you've expanded to YouTube as well recently mm -hmm. is just like an invaluable resource. Like every time one comes oh, up, I'm like, you. ooh, let's check it out. <laughs> so our our kind of goal for this conversation, what we wanted to to touch on is you recently made the jump from being a extremely successful like hobbyist game designer to now it being like a part time job or a mm -hmm. part time thing, and we kind of want to find, we, we, we want to kind of dive into that with the idea that our, our listener here is likely someone who's wanting to do a similar thing. They're, they're maybe making games or maybe want to make games and want to know what the path is to becoming a professional game designer, a, a person who's doing this with their life. So trying to figure out like what your path was to that point, and then kind of like setting up a yardstick for anyone listening of being like, this is where I was when I decided to make this jump. These were kind of the metrics I was looking at. And realize like, oh, wow, this is now a, a reasonable thing for me to do. Mm -hmm. So I guess uh, first question is starting off from 
from absolutely zero. How do you go from, you know, <laughs> zero to your first game and then to something like Anamnesis that has like a bit of a wider uh, claim to it? I think that one of my biggest pieces of advice would be to start small. If you haven't designed a game before and you're looking to get into game design, definitely start with something that, first of all, you're really, really passionate about. Like, don't even try not to care about whether people are actually going to play it or not. Try not to care about how wide of a net it's going to cast. Write something that you really, really just love writing. Write something super indulgent and something that is, I would recommend overall, a shorter project so that you can finish it. <laughs> because yeah. it is, it is so a lot of people are very daunted by the idea of writing their first RPG. Your first RPG can be like five pages long and then you have a finished product that you have completed instead of a 100-page manuscript that you get burnt out on and never release. Um, and in my, in my opinion, being able to fully complete something and release it is really motivating. And it's a really good feeling to actually be able to produce something that is finished. So even if it's not good, <laughs> my first couple of games were not good. Um, and even I would highly recommend just trying to complete something. And again, starting with something that you're really passionate about, that you really just love creating. And then from there, just practicing on smaller projects, but then it's it's very much like writing. People always talk about how with writing, you just have to do it a lot to get better at it. And that's the same thing with game design. The more that you design and the more that you read too, the more different games that you read to get kind of inspiration from, the better of a game designer that you're going to be. And so I highly recommend just giving it practice by writing some short games, releasing them, and eventually you'll end up writing one that you feel really, really proud of and that you might want to take it a step further. At least that's what happened for me with Anamnesis. Um, I had been writing about a game a month in 2021, and I wanted to... Anamnesis was meant to be like my March game <laughs> or something like that. And I wrote it and I was like, I actually think that there's something here that is kind of special. And I think that it would be worth it to me to make the effort in making this into a larger game or like a more, um, a nicer looking product, something that a little bit more work is put into, something that has physical copies available. And then I ended up doing the research in order to do that. And there's a lot of research, um, <laughs> which we can talk about. Um, but it was, it didn't come as a result of me going, oh, I want to make a printed game. Let's make, let's sit down and figure out what printed game I'm going to make. It came as a result of just me practicing writing, um, trying to write a little bit every month and then finding something in my writing that I really liked and that I really wanted to make bigger. I feel like, especially in the tabletop role-playing industry, anyone who wants to do it, whether you want to be like an actual play podcast or whether you want to be a game designer, whether you want to be voice actor, you kind of end up becoming a jack of all trades, regardless yeah. <laughs> of whether or not you want to, mm -hmm. just by necessity. I think this is true for most creative fields. But going from games that were going from, from games that were published maybe only digitally to something that is physical, like like Anamnesis was, is a big jump on just like you got to learn a whole bunch of extra skills that you maybe don't really want to learn but now have to. Yes. Were there any moments in that that were particularly challenging or, or worthwhile to like kind of point out as like, hey, you know, if you want to make the jump from like the small games that you're making to make something a little bit bigger, you're going to have to learn about this. But don't worry, it's not that bad. Just like, you know, mm -hmm. be prepared. It's coming. 
I kind of felt that way about printing. I felt that way about putting in the print order to create the physical copy of the game um, because I knew absolutely nothing about any of that whatsoever. I was looking up stuff about paper sizes, paper thickness. I'm like, I don't know what these mean. <laughs> um, right. I don't Bleed. have a good point of reference. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not like it's uh, it's it, it, when you're starting from from zero with it, it's very hard to kind of find that information. But I found that it actually wasn't quite as challenging as I had originally thought it would be in my head to learn this these things. Um, Mixim actually has, I don't know if they do it anymore, I think they do, um, they have this sample paper packet, basically, that they can send you for free. Um, so if you go onto their website and you request one of their little packets, they will mail it to you for free. And it is like a pack of three or four little books that say like, hey, this is this type of cover on this book. This book has this page width. So you can see it and you can feel it and you can understand what each one means. <laughs> so it was after ordering that packet that I figured out which page size I wanted, which cover size I wanted, what type of cover I wanted. Um, Anamnesis was an uncoded cover. And I didn't know, I didn't really know the difference between all of these things. Um, but I realized after kind of seeing them and feeling them, I'm like, oh, I want anamnesis to be uncoded. So that is a big resource, um, is just doing the little free packet that they have there. Um, and then also the actual act of putting in the order to do the printing. Basically, it's once you kind of have a, all of that down, once you know what type of paper and cover you want, it's not as complicated as it might seem to be. Um, you upload the file that you need and you can look over it on the site to just check it over and make sure that it looks fine. Um, and then usually I would suggest printing a test copy or two just mm -hmm. to make sure that it looks good before you print like a huge batch. And you, you, you say that and I, I'm sitting here right next to our product uh -huh. Echo test print. And yes. Elliot and I got it and I turned to page 10 and I saw that a section of the print went over to the wrong box in a way that haunts me to this day. <laughs> and, and, you know, getting a test print is, it's like a slow thing because you got to wait mm -hmm. like a week or two. But by getting this test print, we saw like two or three, like just errors that were made. And we realized sure. that one of the fonts that we cho chose needed like an additional step before it looked good because it mm. kept like... Yeah, it helped us solve a big issue. Yeah, big issue. Yeah, with the font, yeah. Um, and had and had we not gotten a test print, Elliot, what was your total for the... We ordered like 400 books, which was a couple Ooh. thousand dollars. It was $2,800 for wow, the yeah. books and planners all, all told, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's really so, worth yeah, the extra to, week to and have, a half. <laughs> yeah, yes. it's worth the extra week. <laughs> it's worth the extra 50 bucks to get the test prints, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also do want to say, like, I am um, in America, so it is pretty easy overall for me to do print runs of games compared to some other countries. So if you are a designer from a country that printing is a lot more expensive or there aren't as many resources for it, it does make things a lot harder. But there are also a lot of designers from the States, from the UK, or a lot of distributors who will help you to do a print run of your game. I'm trying to think of actually, of distributors who do that. Uh, plus one EXP. Plus one EXP. I know that Soul Muppet helps with that in the UK. 
Um, so there are people who you can reach out to about your idea for a game, or even if you have a finished PDF and you just can't print it, you can chat with them to see if they'll help with the distribution. Um, so there are resources out there if you are having trouble printing. And luckily, this is also a field of, of people where like just having a PDF, just having a digital version is still a great thing. Absolutely. It's still yeah. a thing that people find incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. Putting out, I mean, I think that like, what you were saying, Sam, about like just putting out that first game, even if it's just a PDF, you still learn so much just just by putting something out there, yes. just by like having to make an itch page. Like the first time having to make an itch page, it's like, oh, wow, there are a lot more pieces to this than I thought through. And I yeah. have to think about like how I want to lay out text and like the promo images and everything. It really like every new game release, even if it's all PDFs, I feel like every game I've released, I've learned some some new aspect of whether that's design or like everything that goes into the release of it. Um, even before you get to printing, there's still so much learning you can do just by continuing to make PDF games. Yeah, absolutely agree. There's a, a coffee shop I go to a lot, most days of the week, and I, I edit there for a couple of hours. And above the bathroom, there's a sign that I really like. And it's, it's this like fancy sign. It's got a fancy script. And it says, uh, go look a fool. Tis the secret of a wise man. Mm -hmm. And I really like took, I saw that when I was like, I don't know, 22. So it's the perfect time to see something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I've really taken it to heart in that everything that I've ever done. So like actual play, podcast, sound design, may, I've made a couple of like one page games, all that stuff. Every time it sucks for like a couple of minutes where you just don't know what you're doing. And you, if you just get past that feeling of being uncomfortable with not being good at something, it gets easier, it gets easier, you get better, you get better. And then all of a sudden you're comfortable doing it and it's you can have fun, experiment and make things that were that were small, bigger and grander and more amazing and fun. It's just getting over that first, it just sucks for a second. Like it's yeah. just know <laughs> it's gonna suck for a second. But then it gets Absolutely. easy and then it gets fun. I would also say like the the kind of go look a fool part of that. Um for me also, um highly recommend like just asking people just ask questions um, oh yeah you know it is okay to show to people that you do not understand these pieces of the process it is okay to be like hey i'm a brand new designer i don't know anything about printing can somebody like recommend different printers that they use can somebody explain what these different paper sizes mean the ttrpg community is often like really, really helpful and is really happy to help new designers. And a lot of people create their own resources that you might not know are out there, but they can link you to. Um, and so it really, I've asked so many questions <laughs> about so many things. And I'm so grateful for everybody who has helped me along the way, because I when, I, when I ran my first crowdfunding campaign, I talked to like five different designers who had run their campaigns to just make sure that there wasn't anything that I wouldn't know that I don't know <laughs> that I should mm -hmm, know. Mm -hmm. And that is just so helpful. Um, so just engaging with the community and um, feel, feeling like you can ask these questions is huge. Don't be afraid to, you know, no one knows yeah. when they first start, you know, like it's like there's no reason to expect yourself to know how all these things work. One of the things that hit that home for me was Sean Patrick Kane has this uh, Twitter thread of my adventures in selling stuff where they go through all these things, all these lessons. And one of the template emails on there is the one about stocking with retailers. And in that email, Sean had put a line that said, I like I'm new to this process. So welcome, like any feedback or 
things I'm missing. And I, I remember like seeing that and using it and being like, that makes me feel so much more comfortable about sending mm-hmm. this email out for the first time to a store. Like, like just like fully, let's just put it out there. It's like, hey, I've never done this before. So like, and like it made the responses I got back, even if I was getting a no from a store, very kind. They were always just like, your approach was great. Please reach out in the future. Like, thanks so much. And I think that that honesty about where you're at, like people appreciate even, you know, when you're getting started and makes them want to help you um, rather than if you came into it like, oh, I already know how to do all this. Like, I don't need any help. I agree. Yeah. I mean, just being able to say like, hey, if there's anything else you need, let me know. Um, That's like, I'm still learning and I want to be able to help out how I can. Um, It's huge. And people really appreciate that, I think. I think there there is also something good to be said about understanding where no can come from. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, whether you're trying to like get your, your game into a store, whether you're trying to get it stocked at like IPR or various places, whether you're trying to find a collaborator or like someone to come on your, your interview show or something, getting to a yes is just two people's priorities lining up perfectly and then it works out. A no doesn't mean like, oh no, I don't want to work with you because I don't think you're good. Oh no, I don't want to stock your game because I don't think it's good. Oh no, I don't want to come on your show because it's not good. It's just those priorities and and that timing doesn't intersect perfectly. So just knowing that like anytime you feel any of those like no's creeping in, it's often, it's very often not a commentary on anything that you're doing. It's just, ah, the timing didn't work. Ah, this doesn't really work for me. I'm working on other things. And I think that is a good thing to remember, especially when you're starting out in anything. Absolutely. Yeah. It's also a situation of you know, the kind of very classic, classic saying of you miss all the shots that you don't take, right? (laughs) Because it is just like any other industry, you know, even if you are getting no's from possible collaborators, from stores, it doesn't hurt to keep reaching out to other ones. Um, And as you practice more as a designer and as you learn more about the community and as you make more connections um, and play more games, then over a period of time, you'll be able to find those collaborators and you'll be able to find those stores that are willing to stock your games. It's just a matter of patience. And there is something there as well. When you're reaching out to someone for any of these types of things, do your best, do the work on your end to make it as easy as possible for them to say yes. Yes. Yeah, that's a big one. Like when when we reached out to uh, Rowan, Rook, and Deckard for our our die season to kind of have Grant come on, to have Kieran come on, we sent a big email that was like, here's everything we want to do. Here's what we're going to be doing. Here's the quality of our stuff. And here's why it's good for you. Like this is what we're hoping to do to like promote this game mm-hmm. and make it sound as good as possible. Here's your time commitment. We're going to make it as minimal as possible for you. We can make it as easy as possible for you to get on the phone. What do you think? We made it as easy as possible for them to say yes, so it wasn't too hard. And I think that's true for if you're trying to get your game stocked, if you're trying to, you know, anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Do that extra little bit of work on your end and make it easier for someone else. That's a big one, too, for commissioning collaborators. Mm-hmm. Um, so wanting to work with a layout artist for your game or wanting to work with an artist being able to make that work as easy for them as possible by providing references, by providing really detailed explanations, that's something that I'm still working on. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot um, after commissioning art from a couple of artists, and I know that I can be better at it. (laughs) And I'm still learning the best way to provide good information about exactly what I'm looking for and exactly what can help them um, get started. And it's okay to ask, too. I know that 
Um, when I asked Thomas Manuel to do the layout of Anamnesis, I started that conversation by saying, hey, I've never worked with a layout artist before. What can I provide you? What would be helpful to you? And he told me, and he was like, you know, examples from other games that you feel inspired by, that you kind of like the look of, as an example. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's a translation thing. Yes. Yeah. So he told me like, hey, you know, this would be helpful. That would be helpful. And then I kind of created a document that had that information in it and sent it his way. And that was helpful to him. It was helpful for me in order to get my thoughts together in terms of what I was looking for. And um, yeah, so it, it just just ask, ask whoever you're working mm -hmm. with, like, how can I best help you? Because often if they've been doing this for a while, they know, <laughs> they right. know it's right. going to be helpful for them. And they can they can let you know. Yeah, I remember I sat down with um, an artist, Eddie York, who who's made art for games like Nova um, and Rune for Spencer Campbell. Fantastic art. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. amazing. Incredible artist. And I remember I reached out to Eddie and was like, hey, I like may have a project down the line. I don't really know how to approach someone like to do the kind of work you've done for like these games that I love. Um, would you be willing to just like chat with me about what all goes into that relationship for you. And Eddie and I had like a great half hour consultation where he just went through everything that goes into the process for him, like how he likes to be briefed, what his rate is, how he thinks a good working relationship works. And I haven't, you know, I've only made games where I've done the art, which is like will be a whole other personal jump to get over for myself <laughs> just because I don't know how to necessarily communicate art as somebody who makes it. It's a weird mental gap there. But I still feel like I learned so much about collaboration in this space and like how that looks from that conversation. And that was just like, you know, a, a Twitter DM or a Discord DM just yeah. like asked to just asked to have a conversation. Speaking of collaboration, Sam. I, I, I do want to, maybe this is a little bit of a curveball at you, but I want to kind of like maybe do a little bit of a deep dive here on our experience collaborating for Project Echo. Yeah, sure. And what that looked like, just kind of like let that, like lay that bear for people to see. So I guess I'll kind of intro it and then and then turn it to you. But like, so I had, you and I had met online via Twitter at one point, like chatted a little bit and sort of were vague mutuals on Twitter, yeah, like yeah. kind of friends on Twitter, but mm -hmm. like didn't really know each other that well. And then um, I think I messaged you on Twitter and was like, hey, I have a new project that I just want to like talk to you about, like I think you could be good for. And then we talked about what what ended up becoming the temporal spread mm -hmm. in Project Echo. And I guess I want to throw to you, like how was that experience of like us, of me reaching out to you and everything? And was there anything candidly that you wish I had done or anything like that? Honestly, it was a great experience. And in fact, there's pieces of that experience that I am taking with me as a designer because uh, a lot of times my collaboration has been, you know, like messaging each other. And uh, honestly, so so Elliot, when we chatted, you were like, hey, let's set up these calls. You know, let's let's do like a video call to chat with each other and we can talk about it and we can see if it's a good fit for you. Um, and then once I agreed to be on the project, then we did a couple of check-in calls just to see how things were going um, so that I could let you know kind of where I was. We could see how you're feeling about it. And that was great. Most of my collaboration has actually just been through messaging. Um, mm. And, you know, in hindsight, it would have been great to do more like 
face to face, you know, at, at, or at least uh, screen to screen, right? Discussion, uh, whether through voice or video, and just like really make sure that you're on the same page, that you guys are feeling comfortable. Um, and that is something that I plan to do with future projects. Um, that so long as my collaborators are comfortable with it, I'd love to do. Uh, voice calls with them. I'd love to do video calls with them because I did feel like that created a connection um, and like an understanding that is harder to achieve over text. You know, what a surprise. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So like that was great. And doing like the check-ins too, um, trying to schedule meetings out a little bit, um, you know, you would uh, kind of suggest timelines to me. And I would say, you know, I think I need maybe about like two weeks and then I can, I believe that that's enough time for me to kind of make more progress on this enough that I have something to talk about again. And we'd be like, great, let's do two weeks from now. Let's do a call. And, you know, sometimes that schedule got modified, but that was, that was a really great way to just keep in touch and to check in and just to see how things are going and make sure that we're on the same page with everything. So I, honestly, I had a fantastic experience with it. Um, yeah. Also, it just provides like a way to brainstorm together too. Right. I love brainstorming sessions. <laughs> and so when you're, it's a lot easier to do that over voice chat than text chat um, to really Absolutely. kind of bounce ideas off of each other and describe things. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know I know you said be candid about it, but I, I can't think of anything that I would change. I think it was great. Well, great. I'm glad. Me too. I mean, it was it was a, it was an incredible experience, and I do think that like what you're saying about the video calls. I know some people aren't super comfortable mm-hmm. getting on calls Absolutely. always, but like if you are, like it it is such a valuable time to spend with someone who you're working together in that way. Like like you said, like brainstorming sessions. I feel like even though your direct work was the temporal spread, I feel like I got so much out of just us chatting in between the stuff about the specific mechanic you were writing, mm-hmm. like. I would like tell you about a new thing that would like I had written for something something else in the game and like you had good reactions or like good thoughts and feedback on that. So yeah, it really created that like strong collaborative relationship. And I think like what you created in the end, what I what I what made me feel like it was a successful collaboration is that your section of the game feels so of you and mm. of the game. Like it 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 fits within the game very seamlessly, and then it also has like a really strong Sam Lee character in oh, my in my opinion. So that's <laughs> to me that means I like I feel like that means that we did well. And yeah. we, and, we and, so. uh, and it came together. Yeah. I hope so. I, I'd like to think so. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think so. Yeah. And if you want to judge for yourself, Project Echo is available everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I know I start I'm starting to I started to worry I was getting self-indulgent there. Um no, it's uh, good. but all this it's... to say that like we connected and I think our first call, I think like to like put some maybe lessons on this, our first call was like mostly about getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about the actual potential collaboration at the like very end, but it was also like we just had interacted a little bit on Twitter and it was like, hey, do you want to just like chat? Also, I have this like potential thing to talk to you about, like potential opportunity. But I think we spent like 45 minutes of that first call just getting to know each other and then like the last like 15 or 20 minutes talking about the actual collaboration. That so that's right. like a, yeah. that's a nice aspect of it as well is that like you're also just like making a friend often in a collaborator when you Mm -hmm. get to like do something like a video call versus like not that messages always feel transactional I'm like I sometimes feel like a bit of like an uh old man about it with like I'm like I prefer calls I don't like texting (laughs) hey I get it I feel like calling is for me if I'm 
if I'm getting like a lot of texts, it's almost exhausting. Um, I just like can't right. even, I'm like, I'm going to put these over here and I'm going to reply to all of these when I feel like I am in the right space for it. Yeah. Calls are just a little bit more refreshing. I had a, yeah. a great experience the other day where I, I reached out to a friend of mine. I want to ask him some questions about Patreon. And I was like, hey, would you want to like do a call sometime this week? Or, like meet up for coffee? And he goes, oh, my week's a little busy. Can I call you in five minutes? I was like, oh, <laughs> molto bene. I, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, perfect. That might stress me out. For, call me in five minutes might stress me out, but. Oh, uh, it was it was perfect. I was like, yes, absolutely <laughs> call you in five minutes. I'm ready. I'm becoming more and more of the call in five minutes person. Yeah. <laughs> right, let's yeah, let's, let's, put, let's write it on the checklist right now and check it off three minutes later. Oh, I love that. I love that feeling. I keep, I have sticky notes all over the place. I still keep a paper planner. Yeah, I'm sure you guys love this with Project Echo. You know, I got mm-hmm. it right a next to planner. me right here every year. I live and die by that thing. Um, the feeling of crossing something off the list, impeccable. Cannot, cannot recreate it digitally. Um, and being able to write something on and immediately cross it off, fantastic. <laughs> it is out of the brain. It is no longer sitting in the brain as like a mental, I need to do this eventually. It's just done. And then you don't have to think about it anymore. I love it. It's right. perfect. I have been guilty every now and then of like, I have my to-do list on my phone or whatever, and mm-hmm. I'll do something that wasn't on the to-do list and I'll type it in and immediately cross it out just because I'm yes. like, I want that satisfaction. <laughs> I have a hundred percent done that before. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's my my dirty little uh my, my guilty pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do want to pivot a little bit okay. because you you very recently made the jump from being a game designer as like a side project, as a side hustle mm-hmm. with a full-time job to this being like a part-time thing. Like you you've yeah. you've really made the the jump, the dive to committing yourself to all right, I gotta make this work because a portion of my livelihood depends mm-hmm. on it rather than it just being a thing that supplements your you know whatever your day-to-day job is i'm curious when did you know that that was a viable option and and how long after that did you actually make the jump or or you know and this is a possibility because this is kind of how i would do mm-hmm. is it even a viable option yet and you're just like <laughs> going for it are, are you diving in without without uh, reaching for a branch yet i i think well, the first thing is I want to preface all of this by saying that I'm in a pretty privileged position. Um, I have like some savings saved up. That means that if this does, if I do this for a year and it really flops, it's not going to drain me. I don't have debt, which is a huge one. So I'm I'm definitely in a position of privilege. And that is a big reason why I can't do this. But kind of in addition to that, going part-time is something that I know that I've wanted to do for like a couple of years now, Um, really ever since Anamnesis was released, which is like pretty early into me writing RPGs, but I found such a passion for it. And I knew that I absolutely loved it. And I knew that I really wanted to make it work um, as my career. And so I've kind of been setting up a lot of stuff over the past few years to prepare myself to eventually make that change. And I didn't know exactly when that change was going to come. Part of it had to do with the income of what I was making with RPGs. Part of it had to do with timing of certain things in my other job, the research lab that I was working at. There were a lot of like factors that went into this. But I would say that one of the big pieces that was allowing me to go part-time is the continual success of anamnesis. Because a lot of games... I'm was pretty blown away by the fact that Anamnesis has 
continued to do well over the last couple of years. Um, a lot of games, they're released and there's like a big spark um, and then they kind of burn out quickly. There's not a lot of chat about them afterwards, after about a year. Um, and that wasn't the case with Anamnesis. People are still talking about it. People are still buying it. People are still playing it. I'm still amazed <laughs> at the fact that that is uh, the case. Now, I will, will say sales from Anamnesis are definitely not <laughs> going to support me part time. Like that is fully, uh, that is not like enough to be able to do that. Right. But it is, it did kind of show me that being able to, something something that I do suggest for anybody who is looking to do this as a career or to go part-time with it, to support themselves with it, is that having, creating your own games and having multiple titles that are available for people to purchase can generate some passive income. That can be huge um, in trying to do this. So if you have a game that I don't even, right now, I'm not even distributing it. IPR is distributing it. Knave of Cups is distributing it. So I send them copies when they're running low on copies, and I'll sometimes do some promo for it. But overall, it's a source of passive income for me, and that is huge. Um, that is like, that's a big deal for me to be able to do this part-time because it allows me to put my time into future projects while I know that I'm still at least getting some income from Anamnesis. So being able to create games that are generating some passive income for you um, is a big one in order to do this as a career. So part of the transition of going part-time was just knowing that I had some of that passive income that was coming in, um, and then also making a lot of connections in the RPG space over the last couple of years. I've been really surprised. I've been... I have been surprised and delighted by different game designers approaching me about writing for their games. There was a time where I was approached to write an adventure module, and I'm thinking to myself, I've never written an adventure before, but yeah, cool. <laughs> let's do it, you know? That uh, mentality of, I've never done this before, yeah, cool, let's do it, is exactly the mentality you got to come into these things with. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> I don't know what this is. I I've never done it before. I probably can. Like everyone, uh -huh. <laughs> everyone who's ever done it had to start from somewhere. Right. Yeah. And I, I think part of it too is that, um, you know, imposter syndrome is a real thing. There have been times where I have definitely experienced it in trying to do what I'm doing. I still don't really fully feel like I know what I'm doing, but, you know, I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, but uh, knowing that if, if somebody is approaching you about an opportunity, they trust you to be able to to do what they're asking. Uh, there's there You have probably shown in your other work before that you're capable of what they are wanting you to work on. Um, so that is also a thing is if somebody approaches you about a project and you're like, I don't, I haven't done something that's exactly like this before. I don't know why they're asking me about it. I'm not really sure if I'm capable of it. Just think about like why they're asking you. Um, thinking about uh, the fact that they could have approached other people and yet they chose to approach you. Um, and there's a reason for that. So don't sell yourself short, I guess, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. And I know that my skills as a designer have really improved by designing for other people's games because it is giving you restrictions that you are designing inside of. And sometimes those restrictions are ones that you wouldn't have placed on yourself. You know, different types of settings that maybe you haven't written for this particular genre before. Maybe you haven't written an adventure before. <laughs> um, and so being able to work within that space, I think, really strengthens and develops your abilities as a writer and designer. So 
Yeah, just if somebody approaches you about something, it you might feel some imposter syndrome. Um, again, I definitely know that I have before. Um, mm-hmm. I've definitely been approached by people and been like, I don't know why they're asking me for this thing. Before. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> um, I don't really know. But um, just like giving it a shot, knowing that there is a reason that they approached you and just giving it your best shot, I think would just would be my suggestion with that. Um, so long as, again, your priorities align, <laughs> so long right. as it's a good fit for you um, in terms of are you capable of doing this right now? Is it um, do you have the time for it? Uh, are they um, being respectful with how much they're offering to compensate you? That sort of thing, um, because also, you know, I mean, it is important to not sell yourself short. Even when you are feeling imposter syndrome, it is important to not sell yourself short and you know, if somebody is paying you to write a game, make sure that they are not asking you to do it for free. <laughs> Unless mm-hmm, it is right. some sort of situation where you're doing a royalty share afterwards or that you just want to make sure that the setup is something that you want to make sure that nobody is taking advantage of you as a new designer as well. Hey there, it's Elliot from the Many Sided Media team. In addition to playing and producing here on My First Dungeon, I'm also a game designer known for such games as Something is Wrong with the Chickens, a rules-like game of chickens, eldritch horror, and revenge. Project Echo, a solo time travel game played in the pages of a planner. And the upcoming Rom-Com Drama Bomb, a three-player game of meet-cutes and mayhem. If you like weird and unique games and want to bring something new to your table, head to moreblueberries.shop and use code MYFIRSTDUNGEON for 20% off your order. That's M-O-R-E-B-L-U-E-B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot shop. Thanks! What would a character do if they knew... They were part of a story. What would they say to the author that is pulling their strings? In Samantha Lee's solo RPG, Death of the Author, players take on the role of a character fighting for control over their narrative. Draw tarot cards and modify scene prompts to bend the story to your will. Each change, however, comes with a consequence, as the author may use your own words against you. Death of the Author is crowdfunding on Backerkit from May 14th to May 28th. You can find the project by searching Death of the Author Backerkit in your search engine of choice. Fight the narrative. Defy your author. Little Wolves is a folktale TTRPG where players fill the fur of shape-shifting werewolves in a realm of fae and of magic called the Enchanted Forest. Players will craft physical masks that represent their characters and use them during play to shift between their wolf and their mortal forms. As they perform favors and complete quests, new marks are made on their masks that reflect the real physical changes that the werewolves undergo. The enchanted forest is deep and detailed with fey queens, courts, and all manner of denizen for your werewolves to meet. The crowdfunding campaign for Little Wolves launches May 14th. You can follow the campaign 
at bytes.rip slash little wolves. That's B-Y-T-E-S dot R-I-P slash little wolves. And you can check out the free demo and quick start at bytes.rip slash little demo. I think on the other side of the of the asker for collaboration, coming from that position recently on Project Echo, I think two things there that you're talking about that I think are important is know why you're asking that person to collaborate. Yes, mm. you know, make sure make sure like you have that reason. They may never ask. You know, like I I can't imagine you probably when you get those messages are like, why are you asking me? But someone might, you know, like. But no, you should know that even if no one's ever going to ask. Like I knew reaching out to you, Sam. I was like, Sam is the voice I want in this portion of the game. Like, I I like I know that they can do it. I know that they're going to crush it. I know that it's going to fit. Like, it was like, it was very clear to me that, like, I wanted your voice in, in this aspect of the game. Um, and then the other one is, like, on rates, I think, like, it's really important to think about that. Bef- like, as soon as you decide you want to work with a collaborator, think about, like, am I going to be able to pay this person fairly at, like, the rate that they expect to be paid yeah. at and like deserve to be paid at like i think that's a a huge thing it was a huge anxiety for me getting into project echo i remember where i was like i've never raised money you know mm-hmm. like i've never i've never kicked like i've never crowdfunded am i gonna have enough money to like pay these people i want to work with and it was like then like but like that was the one of the first things i asked you was like what is your rate mm-hmm. for for writing like let's make sure we hit that and let's make sure we factor that into this crowdfunding goal because it was like super important. So when you're asking for them, know what your like budget is or know how to fact know that you're gonna have to factor in this this rate into your crowdfunding goal if you're crowdfunding, or be very candid about what your budget is and like ask somebody if you can work out a different solution, like a work trade or a profit share or things like that. Some people are open to those sorts of things, but just make sure that like that is equally important to the artistic ask is making sure that it is you're also respecting that this is like this is people's job and and that you're thinking about that fairly and 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 being honest about it and that's the thing is like I didn't know what a fair rate was for a guest writer on a on a game so I just asked like I was just like what's your what's your like rate and what would be something you're comfortable charging yeah I'm still learning about different rates for different fields for sure um I I've learned a lot over the last couple of years and I'm still learning about what's fair for artists, for layout artists, for guest writers, all of the stuff. Even being a guest writer, you know, different people will offer different things and um, just being able to talk to others about what they feel like is a fair rate compared to what you feel mm-hmm. like is a fair rate. And that's one of the things about this field. There's been a lot of discussion about this. Um, I'm not saying anything novel here, but um, mm. there's a ton of discussion about the fact that we don't have standard rates in this industry. Um, and so everybody kind of sets their own for their different projects. And it does mean that some people can use the fact that there aren't standard rates to try to not pay people what they're worth. And But fortunately, that is getting pointed out more and more, and people are more and more vouching for fair rates, which is great. I would also add that it is, uh, Elliot, just like you said, um, definitely just like asking people what their rates are is great. Also, doing trying to do a little bit of research first about what is a standard rate beforehand is also great because sometimes people will sell their self short um, when they do say what their rate is. I've worked with a couple of people before who, when I asked what their rate was and they gave me a number, I was like, 
that sounds really low. Um, mm-hmm. And and I kind of talked to them about it. And because we were doing, because of the different situations, so in one of them, for example, we were crowdfunding, and I felt pretty confident that we would be able to raise enough in order to increase the rate a little bit. So we, we talked about it, and we went with a higher rate that we both felt was more fair, ultimately. Um, and that meant that we had to crowdfund a little bit more, but it wasn't an egregious amount. And, and that is something, too, that you'll learn more as you do work with more people. Um, ideally, in your first project, you're going to want to be able to pay everybody a fair rate. If you don't know what a fair rate is, and if they're selling themselves short, you might end up not doing that, <laughs> um, right, which, which right. sucks. Um, and, you know, I it's something that I am striving to more and more I'm striving to more and more understand what a fair rate is in every place and to know when somebody is selling themselves short. And also, if a game does really well in crowdfunding, to um, give bonuses to collaborators, to offer a royalty split for collaborators. That's actually something that I'm kind of recently changing in like this adjustment to going part time is I'm really wanting to make sure that I set up really good foundations for this business. So I've decided I'm going to start doing royalty shares with all of my collaborators on all of my games um, because that's something that's really important to me. That's something that I think is more fair. And so that is something that I'm moving forward with. But that doesn't mean that your game has to have royalty shares in order to fairly compensate somebody. Just work with people, talk about it, do your research. It'll it'll take some learning and it'll take some time. But it's really important to look into all of that and to ask around about that. And the places you can look, I mean, like if you, I know when, like this was Brian's first time doing layout, my first time hiring a person to do layout. Obviously, Brian and I are friends, so we could have very open discussions about this. But one of the things I went and did was I went and looked at layout artists whose work I like and Mm -hmm. went to their website and looked at their rates to like talk to Brian about like, I think this is like, the, the level of layout we're falling within and like, do you feel comfortable with that sort of thing? That's a great uh, idea. I remember specifically Momatos, who is oh, an incredible amazing. layout designer, yeah. <laughs> has a really comprehensive rate sheet for layout that like, I think we've modeled um, right off of for like a certain level where they've got like basic, simple, or like basic, simplex, and complex oh, cool. or like the three levels. And it's a really, and it, it's to me reads as a very fair pay structure. And so like, that's a place you can go is like, if there's somebody you know is working in the space and has like a level of like work you respect or success based on what you see them doing, like, what are they charging? And like, you probably want to, like, maybe they're charging at a, a higher level because they've had a certain level of success, but you still probably want to like model those levels of like what the people who are doing this for work are getting paid. And with that, Sam, maybe we should just put a number on what's like, what are you charging for like guest writing? And I know the answer based on Project Echo, but maybe and hopefully you've raised your rates uh, in the last (laughs) six months. So my minimum rate is 10 cents per word. Um, I have worked on different projects at about that rate before. Often I have worked at a higher rate than that. And I think that that is, I think that even when somebody approaches me about a project, if it was, if the rate was 10 cents a word, I would really look at the project and think, you know, is this going to be worth it to me at this rate? That's kind of my my threshold. If somebody offered a lower rate than that, then I would talk to them to see if they would be willing to raise the rate. Um, or I probably, if not, I might not take the project. Um, now, granted, if it was a lower rate plus a certain amount of royalty share, that might change things depending on what the project is to 
So there are, there's, there's definitely flexibility there. There's definitely things that are, it's definitely a case by case basis in some ways. Sure. Um, so uh, the, the kind of 10 cents per word minimum is not just a, oh yeah, definitely never ever doing anything for less than that. Um, but it is kind of my guideline to know whether I'm, I feel like I'm being paid fairly. A lot of times, too, I, I have been paid more than that. Um, or people have uh, offered a certain amount and then said, hey, if our crowdfunding campaign does really well, then everybody's going to get a bonus. And that's happened a couple of times, which is great. But yeah, that's that's what I would say. And I know for a lot of people, so uh, my main career has been in film and television as an assistant director. And what that means is that I'm freelance and that every single job I take, which is you know eight, nine, 10 jobs a year, I have to renegotiate my rate. So I've got to do a, a job interview and a rate negotiation multiple, multiple times a year. And so you get comfortable with it, but it's an important thing to remember that like getting comfortable with those conversations about money is an incredibly valuable thing. Because I know yeah. for, for a lot of people, if you work in a more standard you know, office job or a salary job, you probably have that conversation once at the beginning of your career and then like once every year kind of. Yeah getting comfortable with saying like, this is what I'm worth. This is what I want. This is what I won't accept below is not as confrontational as it feels. And mm -hmm. it all, like whenever you're talking about money, it always feels a little like, I don't know what I can say. Knowing what you're worth, being very confident and saying that with purpose. And then also just, you know, having the, having knowledge of your own worth is incredibly helpful. And most of the time, if you're talking to someone who is interested in hiring you or you're interested in hiring and both of you are on the same page and both of you, it's a collaborative effort. That conversation isn't awkward. It's just like, yeah. it feels a little weird because we as Americans uh, have made it that way for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because capitalism. Yep. Love it. Mm -hmm. Great. Good times. Yep. <laughs> but but oftentimes, the, the way that conversation goes, if it starts to feel confrontational or weird, mm -hmm. that's a pretty good indicator of like, mm, this probably isn't the project for me. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. If you're uh if you're talking to somebody about a rate and they're they seem to be kind of aggressive about what they're offering you and you feel like that that is not a fair payment for you, then I would yeah, I would not be taking that job. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, run in the other direction probably. <laughs> if you get bad yep. vibes in that in that that's probably not a good collaborative relationship i have also had the thing where it's like well our usual guy does it for this and i'm like great get your usual guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and that's another situation where like as the person asking for a collaborator you can say i don't know really how to navigate this conversation or this is my first time navigating mm -hmm. this conversation and like Assuming you're coming at this with good intentions, you can say, my ultimate intention is to get you paid as fairly as possible. Yeah. So, like, let's just talk about that. And, like, I think maybe I did too much when we're having these conversations is I would always check with, like, you, Sam and Will, like, is are you sure you're are you sure you're good uh -huh, with this? Yeah. <laughs> like, I just want to make sure like this, like you feel like this is fair. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another place where you can just be honest and be kind of, like, humble about your level of knowledge and and be willing to, like. Just let people know where your intention is at and then try to work to a solution openly. Mm -hmm. um, 
always advocate for being open is my my feel. Yes, I agree. And I'm still I'm definitely still navigating or learning to navigate those conversations. I'm still, you know, there are still times where it feels a little bit awkward to talk about money and I'm but the more that you do it, the easier it gets, the more fluid it gets. Um and it's definitely something that is really really important, especially in a space where all of these rates are not standard. So even if it does feel a little awkward bringing it up, it is so important to and, you know, Elliot, what you were saying, it's it's so important to just be candid about, you know, making sure that this person feels like they are being offered what they're worth and just asking them, you know, does this feel like a fair rate to you? Um, is there anything else that we can be doing to like help to help this? A, a thing that if you're trying to hire someone or bring someone on as a collaborator and you're going to be the person paying them, I say this with with. I'm pleading with everyone who ever does this. <laughs> I've gotten so many calls where they're like, hey, let me tell you all about the project. Here's what we're going to be filming. Here are the number of days. Here's all this. Here's all this. And I sit on the phone for freaking, I don't know, 20 minutes listening to all their stuff. And at the end, they tell me the rate. Or they, or even worse, they make me ask. Mm. If you're coming in and like trying to give some, and trying to hire someone, give them that information. Of, like Let them decide with that information from the beginning rather yeah. than like giving them a whole spiel all the time. That's try to point. try to give that the the important information that people like want to see right up front. Give it to them right up front. Mm-hmm. I've wasted so many hours listening to pitches for shows <laughs> that I will never work on. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about your move to part time mm-hmm. and what that has kind of meant for you. I'm curious how you're thinking about splitting your time. A what what hours of your week are now TTRPG hours? How are you doing that relative mm-hmm. to your other job? And B how are you thinking about collaboration and personal projects and finding that balance? Sure. Yeah, it is. It is something that I'm still navigating. So I've it's been about three weeks since I made the transition. <laughs> and so a lot of that time has also just been general moving things, you know, got to find a new doctor, that type of stuff. <laughs> so mm, love that. Yep. All good. Um, just went to the DMV a couple days ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Taking all that, uh, getting all that taken care of. So. But uh, so so I will say I will say that I'm, I'm still navigating it. Um, but in terms of the number of hours that I'm planning to work, I am still working part time for the research lab that I was working for before. And by that, by part time, that is about 18 hours a week and might actually be fewer eventually. My, my goal is to get it down to closer to 12 and 15. My lab knows this, <laughs> but we have had some like personal changes in the lab and everything. So I'm, I'm working 18 hours a week right now. And so essentially the rest of my time is working on TTRPGs. And so um, it's, you know, if you want to go by a standard 40 hour week, um, then I guess that's about 22 hours of my week. But is it, or are you, are you still squeezing in off hours as if you're still doing this on your own. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I would not say that that is like the 22 hours is not an accurate week by week assessment. Sometimes it might be less if I have other things going on that week. Um, But sometimes it's more because I do stuff on the weekends. And it's also a strange balance for me because, you know, Elliot, like you said, I was used to doing this in kind of my off hours as a hobby. And there is still that kind of desire to work on it in my off, you know, quote unquote off hours for better or for worse. And how much I end up working like 
over 40 hours a week kind of just depends on how things are doing and what's going on at the moment. I would imagine that the next time I have a crowdfunding campaign, I'll probably be working more than <laughs> more than uh, 40 hours a week. But then there might be weeks that are more relaxed. And it, it's it's really something that I'm still navigating. But also part of this is that I'm doing this because I I just love it. You know, I love almost every aspect of it. And so it doesn't always I'm I'm very grateful that it doesn't always feel like work to me. So it's kind of a weird mixture of like, yes, I'm doing this for my profession. I'm also doing this for fun. Where's the line? Like how much I don't want to overwork myself, but I also don't want to be stressed by how much work I have to do. You know, so it's kind of it's it's an interesting thing to balance when you're taking a hobby and turning it into a profession. Um, and that is something that I, I mean, I can speak on it a little bit, but it's I'm still I'm still kind of at the stage where I'm trying to figure out how it feels. Um and I'm very aware that a lot of people talk about when they take their creative field and they try to make it into their profession that it really changes things. And it can sometimes be really stressful to take something creative and to to take creativity and try to like live off of creativity, essentially. And that sometimes when people take their hobby and try to make it their profession, that it doesn't feel fun anymore. And that's something that I'm like super aware of <laughs> that I'm going into this being very aware of. I'm I'm really trying to make sure that I'm checking in about how I'm feeling about things, um that I'm giving myself the space to do things that are that feel a little bit more like I'm doing a job and also to feel a little bit more like I'm doing it for fun. To also have personal projects that I'm I'm working on that are TTRPG related that I'm not trying to do for profit. <laughs> um, I have a game that I want to write that's just the intention is to, is for it to just be for me and my friends. Um, and so I and I'm really excited to work on that. Um, and I want to make sure that I have those projects too. So it's probably going to be tricky to balance. And and it's possible that I'm going to come out of this and be like, hey, maybe I maybe this isn't for me. You know, maybe doing this as my income uh, is not a good idea. And maybe I would enjoy this more as a hobby. And I'm fully aware that in, you know, a year from now, that might be the decision I make and I might go back to work full time. Um, but I, right now, I'm loving it. <laughs> right now, I'm enjoying it. And right now, I'm still learning to navigate it. So I don't know. I mean, I think in six months, I'll have more to say about it. <laughs> I appreciate that perspective, though, that you're like, you're you're kind of welcoming what this experience is going to teach you about the about the move while at the same time having waited till you were set up to feel like you can make it work yeah i i think that it's just important to stay aware of how you're feeling about it and ultimately you know i could say like oh yeah my dream job is to is to work on ttrpgs full time right i mean that is true right that is that is what i would love to do but in a year from now if i'm just finding that i am not enjoying this that it is stressing me out i don't want to keep pursuing it because it is my dream job right things things change over time and um you have to be able to pick things up and let things go and you know, who knows? I could be completely, I hope that this won't be the case. I could be completely burnt out of RPGs in a year. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's it's a possibility. And I just, I'm I'm moving forward with this experience, aware that these different things could happen and that that's okay. No matter what comes out of it, 
as long as I'm taking care of myself and I'm doing what I need to do to be healthy, <laughs> um, then that's the best decision for me. Love that. So we've got, we've got this uh, segment on the show called Nat Ones Are Still Fun, where we ask our, our guests to share a, a failure or, or some kind of experience, whether that's a capital F failure or, or something that just kind of got messed up, that, that they think provided a lesson that's kind of worthwhile to share. Mm-hmm. Um, so from like the, the span of your entire TTRPG experience, is there anything you think is like a, a good uh, failure that people can learn from? Um, I think that one thing that I have learned as a game designer and that I'm still learning is to just really trust your players. Mm. So I had a playtest that I did a while back that overall, while the playtest was fine, there I realized that there were all of these aspects in it that almost seemed when the players were going through this game there were some questions in the game that were kind of like how is your character feeling about this right now um like kind of describe your character's response to this and i was able to sit in on this play test um with two of my friends who were playing this game and it just felt like when they got to those questions, it was almost like embarrassing for me as a designer to be like, like they they are in their characters. They they know how their characters are feeling. They know how their characters are responding to this. I don't need to ask them about that. It feels like it feels like a disservice to be asking them about it. It feels like like they they're so. It just it definitely seemed like I wasn't trusting them enough to create these rounded characters and to create this interesting story on their own. Um, And so that was a big lesson for me in game design, just being able to understand that if people are playing your game, it probably means that they're really excited about the game. And it means that they probably are making characters in a story that they are also really excited about. Um, And having some questions about kind of the situation or about your characters for like character development, that those are all fine. That's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but asking so directly, like, how is your character feeling right now? They probably know that. <laughs> they right, probably right. are very aware of that uh, and they don't need you asking about it. Um, so just like, it's, it's definitely good to provide a framework um, through like the mechanics of the game um, in order to, to help people create a story. I feel like my role as a designer is to create a framework to help somebody create a story. And so that is through the mechanics, that might be through some examples of play, that might be through providing some lists of things that somebody can choose from for inspiration, but asking, like, how is your character feeling? Asking questions like that so directly is, I think, a disservice and just isn't trusting your players enough to be able to do that on their own. Uh, I think this is also a good reason to like do play tests because it yeah. becomes immediately apparent like, oh, we don't need that at all. Oh, this was confusing my players completely. Mm-hmm. And and you said and you said it's like it's an embarrassing experience. Like it, it sucks <laughs> when someone like asks you a question about your game design that you thought like, oh, there's no worry that they're, they're gonna get this. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's the most efficient way to fix all the problems that will arise, regardless. It's it's you know what it is. It's going to the dentist. I haven't been to the dentist in way too long, and what the dentist is going to tell me is going to be bad. But the uh-huh. the longer I go without going to the dentist, it I don't have cavities right now. Technically, mm-hmm. I've never had a cavity. When I go to the dentist, they're going to say you've had cavities for a while. 
Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. That's a At great. least you're not trying to sell your teeth to people. Uh, I'm not trying to sell my people teeth. people for money for them. Is that... Oh, yeah. Is that coming from a thing, or was it just a, a random thing you said? <laughs> is that is there a oh, like point? because games you're selling to people? I was we, oh, I, was I see. Doing uh, the see, metaphor. See. So sorry, I thought that <laughs> I thought that would have connected. I I um, immediately went to like, is there a pop culture thing I'm missing? Where some guy selling his teeth? <laughs> Wild. <laughs> was that the was that the new season of White Lotus? Is that what it was all about? <laughs> but that's I mean that's the thing about like you know with a game you're asking people to pay money for it. So like yeah. you know have like make sure you like respect the players in that way and like how you learn what a player how a player thinks is playtesting and also i think playing lots of different games like mm -hmm. sam i think you play a lot of different games i imagine it's with these same two friends who i think often, you yes. often play with <laughs> yeah um so you like learn i've played with like a gaming group for a few years and like you really learn how players are by playing yeah like for that's sure. like it's it's just you see where the fun little nuggets of like thought and creation come out that you can lean into as a designer so play testing great also playing lots of different games is like you'll just you'll just learn that stuff yeah uh, even more i'll also say with play testing um like a lot of people are nervous about it because they know that they're gonna get critique on it but i and like hey it it does suck sometimes right it sucks but overall i will say that my experiences doing play tests even when the play tests didn't go as well as i thought they would even in this one that i was just describing where it was kind of like i was reading through it as they were playing and i was kind of embarrassed that i was asking these such like obvious questions I that playtest gave me so much inspiration. I came out of that playtest like more inspired about that game than I had ever been. I was I was like I had all of these notes. I had a ridiculous number of notes that I took during this thing and I was like really ready to dive back into it um because it just is seeing people play it and um even if they even if there were parts that were trickier to get through, it was still a fun experience overall. And like even knowing that even knowing that there are parts that weren't as fun or parts that needed work, being able to see it being played and being able to receive that feedback, both the positive and the negative, in my opinion, was just really motivating and really inspiring. Um, so it's it's not all doom and gloom, I guess. A lot of people feel very nervous about playtests, but I would say if you look at it in terms of, hey, I want to make this game as great as I can possibly make it. And this is going, this is a step in order to help me do that. Um, and this is going to like provide me with a lot more creative ideas that I can work off of. I think that that's kind of the best way to look at it. And um, you, you might be surprised at how like reinvigorating a playtest can be. Listen, you can brush your teeth all you want, but you got to go to the dentist. <laughs> you got to go to the dentist. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not going to say any other extensions of this metaphor. I learned my lesson. <laughs> Keep all those teeth in and, the mouth. And uh, put put your teeth on the shelf. Put them on the shelf. Uh, <laughs> put them on... Uh, anyway. Um... <laughs> I'm curious as a as a from a design perspective if this if this move to part-time is changing anything for you like from like we've talked some a bit about like the realities sure. of this move and what that means for you but like as like a person who has lots of I imagine lots of ideas how does this change those ideas or like how big you want to make them or how you want to make them like is there it has it changed anything creatively for you and I know you're just getting started um so maybe not yet honestly 
Not a lot yet. I think because I, maybe it's because I've been preparing for this move for a while because I knew that I wanted to do it and it was just a matter of when. But I, the projects that I'm currently working on aren't any different than the ones that I was kind, that I was already working on. <laughs> um, the ones that I kind of, my goals over the next few months haven't really changed at all. Um, I have a couple of games that I know that I want to release in um, physical form, and my goal is to still make those. Um, now, as far as what comes after that, I, I don't know. It it might change. Um, it could be that I try to make more games that have physical runs or more games that I'm working with an artist and a layout artist and an editor, you know, to make really polished games. I might end up doing more of that in the future, but I was kind of already planning to. So it's, I don't think it's changed a whole lot yet, but it's also, I think it's also really important to me that I'm still making games that I really want to make, that I'm not designing games. It would be, in my opinion, I would consider this endeavor a failure if I were to start designing games only based on what I think is going to make the most money. It is really important to me that I continue to design games that I genuinely want to make, um, that I design stuff that excites me, because I also think that if you get really excited about something, chances are there's a lot of other people that are going to be really excited about that thing, even if that's not something that everybody is talking about, um, even if it's something that's kind of unique and um, that hasn't really been done much before. If you're really excited about it, there's probably going to be other people who are really excited. So, and that that excitement is infectious. Um, when you really love what you're doing, I think that really shines through in the work itself. So, yeah, I guess the move to part-time is, I guess it's not really changing my projects a whole lot. At least I don't think that it will. It's possible that it will over time, but not yet. Just giving you more time. Yeah. Well, I'll be better for it. I'm just, I can't wait for some of these games you've got coming out. Like Death, I'm very excited. I continue to be very excited for Death of the Author. Thanks. I think that's such a cool game. That one's. I'm I'm excited for that too. I feel like um, I it's taken me a lot longer to <laughs> to release than I thought it would. Um, but I um, yeah, that one that one's definitely one of the ones I'm most excited about right now. And what all? Just so like, let's lay it out there. What all other kinds of collaboration are you doing? So you do guest writing editing is mm -hmm. there more um those are kind of the primary ones a couple of other kind of side things that i do uh are i actually make playlists for people's games um i don't compose music so not not to like it that i i know nothing about music composition <laughs> but um i do playlist commissions so if somebody wants a like 10 song playlist that's based off of their RPG, um, I do like these little mini commissions um, where I'll work with them to figure out kind of the tone that they're going for. And then I'll go and I'll find a bunch of songs and arrange a playlist for them, which I've been doing for, uh, for a, a bit now. I used to make a ton of playlists, kind of, I mean, I guess I always have for, for a while. It was a really big hobby in college and and after graduation. And so it just kind of felt like a natural thing to start doing. And it's been really fun. And I've chatted with a lot of people and heard of a lot of really cool games because of it. Um, and also I have playlists to listen to for like any occasion now. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, so I do that. And then I also do a little bit of voiceover work. Not a whole lot. Um, it's just kind of, I don't really actively look for it that often, but I just kind of put it out there. And every once in a while, somebody will ask me about it. Um, I actually just recorded 
a little bit of material for Outer Rim Uprising, which is this mothership bundle that there's a ton of different designers who are collaborating on this bundle, but it's being organized by Eco. Um, and they asked me, they're like, hey, we're going to be doing these like audio segments where I'm chatting with the different designers from the bundle. I would love for you to be able to record pieces from these different items, from these different, mm. uh, from their different writing. So that was really fun because it's kind of a mixture of voice over and voice acting because some of the, there's like in-universe pamphlets um, yeah. and things like that. So it was it was super fun to record. So things like that. It's uh, th- Those are definitely both smaller, um, but every once in a while something will will come my way and it's a lot of fun for to have that variety. So you're doing these three things, guest writing, editing, and some voiceover and playlists, four things. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you recommend somebody who's like maybe just been a, a designer of their own stuff who wants to get into collaborating on other people's projects, whether that's as a guest writer, as an editor, layout designer, artist? What would your kind of putting yourself out there kind of advice be for people who wanted to do that? I mean, honestly, just making the announcement that this is something that you're doing and something that you're looking for is the big one. (laughs) Just being able to, you know, post to socials and say like, hey, I am, I'm looking to do more of this work. These are the things that I've written already. These are the things that I've, these are examples of my art. Um, I would really love to do more work in the RPG space. Um, If anybody is looking for designers, if anybody's looking for artists, that's a big one. Also, you can be on the lookout for when people announce that they're looking for collaborators, um, because some people will make announcements on Twitter saying, hey, um, I'm going, I'm looking for writers, um, or I'm looking, you know, for people to submit to be a writer, uh, submit pitches. Uh, I've seen a few designers do except pitches for different pieces of design and then they choose which pitches they like or i'm looking for artists to uh, do art for this particular type of game and if you think that your art would fit then um please let me know so kind of being on the lookout for that too and just putting yourself out there when you see it and making these pitches and contacting these people is something to just keep an eye out for and then also too if you have worked with somebody in the past that like let's say that you have designed your own game and you worked with a layout artist for that game um, and you really enjoyed your collaboration if that layout artist also does game design work you can just tell them you can just say hey by the way if you ever are if you're ever doing game design work and you're looking for somebody to do some writing in the future Keep me in mind. And that just kind of like tells them that like, oh, you're open for this. Like this is, it just lets them know that, hey, you are available to do this work. And now that they they know that there is somebody who they could go to about it if they wanted to. So just kind of being open about it, letting people know is the number one, just so that people are aware. But yeah, it's still, it's something that is difficult to navigate because there are so many people who are looking for work and sometimes it's hard to, I mean, I know that I've been reached out to by a couple of people before that I wasn't expecting, you know, I hadn't really chatted with them much before um, and it was kind of a surprise, but you never really know who's going to find your stuff and who's going to be inspired by your work um, and who's going to see that you're available. So it always helps to let people know. And endorse the collaborators you like working with. So yes. I will take this opportunity to say, work with Sam. <laughs> <laughs> work with Elliot and Brian. <laughs> if anyone's looking for a layout artist, I'm, I'm seeking. I'm seeking submission. Brian crushed the project. Echo first layout 
first layout for a TTRPG and Brian. Oh, Crouch wow. Oh, nice. Echo. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Absolutely. Hire Brian. Hire Sam. Hire Will. Hire no. Behold. I'm going to shout out the whole I'm going to shout out the whole Project Echo team. Hi, anybody who touched Project Echo deserves uh, more money and more jobs, more projects. I mean, um, yeah, great people. We love it. Brian, you want to take us take us to the final queue? Yeah, uh, Sam, thank you so much for for coming. I've got one more question for you. Sure. Which is what are you bringing to the table? So who is a person? What is a game show a resource? Anything in the TTRPG space that you would recommend right now and want to kind of shine a, a spotlight on? I have felt really inspired by Snow's writing recently. So they wrote um, My Body is a Cage. They wrote Lylan Collie. And they also have a blog called Nerves where they blog about different things about RPGs. Um, and I feel like they've done a lot of really incredible work that's they they really do a lot of kind of genre breaking stuff a lot of stuff that is extremely unique um and i don't actually i don't read a whole lot of blogs admittedly but snow's blog i've found really inspiring as a designer and so they've done some really unique stuff within their writing that um i find is really compelling and that i've really enjoyed so um the one that really sticks in my brain is that they wrote a review of lancer that was written as though they were they had gone back in time to interview their 14 year old self about it. Um, so it was like this this review was written as this interview between Snow and 14-year-old Snow. Um, and that was there there was pieces in it that like, yes, it was this review of this game, but there it was also this piece of like creative nonfiction where you were kind of learning a little bit about Snow by reading it. And it was very um I just was kind of blown away by it. I thought it was so clever. And I just think that they do a lot of work that shows the expanse of what you can do in this space and that shows how creative you can get with these things. So I highly recommend checking out their stuff, um, checking out their games, checking out the Nerves blog and reading some of their writing because it's uh, it's very inspiring as a designer. And we will uh, we'll link Snow's blog Nerves in yeah. the in the show notes. And absolutely second that recommendation was just reading their uh, reading list that yes. uh, that they just put out. Which I just read great. that too. Brian, you sent me that. Oh, I didn't put it together. That's what I sent you. It, this Same is a person. great blog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. great blog. Well, with that, thank you, Sam Lee for coming to the table. Thank Do you, you want to tell me. people where they can find you? Sure. Um, kind of my main link where you can find all of my other links is samlee.card.co. Um, that's sam, L-E-I-G-H dot C-A-R-R-D dot co. You can find all of my links there to TikTok, to Tumblr, to Twitter. You know, who knows what sites are going to be up in the next year, <laughs> but all of mine are on there. And then all of my games are found at linkingbirchgames.itch.io. And if you want more gamey content, check out the 20-sided newsletter, the Many-Sided Media Discord. Those are both linked down below in our show notes. Rate, review, follow, talk at the table wherever you get your podcasts. And that's what the table is talking about. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. If you're hearing this, that means you have listened to every last second of this episode. And that 
probably makes you a fan of this show. Well, if you're a fan and you like what we're doing and want to help others find it as well, then consider leaving us a five-star review over on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Getting more ratings really does help more people find the show, and reading your nice words about the things that we put out into the world makes us feel all warm and good inside, and we want more of those good, good feels. So head on over to your podcast player of choice and leave us a five-star review. Thanks.